Hello and welcome to Department 12, an IO Psych podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina. Do you think IO Psych can save the world, uh, at least the world of work and organizations? My guests today do, so let's meet them and find out how they got into the field. My name is Britt Gottschalk. I am from Milwaukee, living in Madison, Wisconsin, and I am the uh, CEO and founder of Revised Consulting. I was sitting in a lecture hall at UW-Milwaukee, and it was my junior year of college, and my bachelor's in psychology, just general psych. And I was like, okay, well, what the heck am I going to do? I don't know. I don't want to go into clinical. I don't want to go into counseling. And I remember being in like this research methods class, and um, the professor had a slide up on the on the projector, and it showed a piece of the pie, and it was like 40% of um, the psychologists go into clinical, like and, like another 40% goes into um, counseling. And I was just like, well, I got enough issues of my own and I'm going to go into counseling. Um, and so I, then I saw this little sliver at the bottom, it was like 2% of um, psychologists end up going into industrial organizational psychology. And I was like, well, what is that? So after doing some research, um, you know, I learned it was a study of group behaviors, uh, I was pretty much hooked on it. And you know, I started I started enrolling in graduate programs um, and researching them, uh, you know, within the next couple months for the most part, uh, because it was just such an interesting field. And it just seemed like such a, such a great way to really make a difference. My name is Ethan Sprang. I'm located in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I serve as the Chief Operating Officer for Revised Consulting. Yeah, so in in school, I was um, you know studying studying finance and business. So I was really rooted in business at that time. Um, but I was also minoring in communications and took a couple courses that introduced some you know, psychological behaviors and I kind of uh, grew an affinity just for behavioral analysis in general. And, um, my family definitely has uh, a presence in psychology, so it wasn't foreign to me at the time. And um, I think uh, my senior year of college, right before graduation, I was sort of exploring next steps. And um, I came across several uh, IO psychology programs um, that were doing the exact type of thing I wanted to do. Um, and it was almost instantaneous that I knew that's, that's what I wanted. Um, and now I'm just super happy to kind of be in this, in this market that's um, budding and just now developing into something um, really prominent. The supervillain of our story, of course, is COVID-19. And we hope to have a vaccine that will vanquish this foe soon. But then what? Does everyone just go back to the office? Um, we've already had this wide-scale experimental migration that's been happening, and this is virtual migration. So everybody's been exposed, at least in the professional world, to um, you know work-from-home benefits, and that's something that you can't really take that experience away. Um, even though COVID, COVID will subside, um, the benefits have been apparent, and that's just something that, given the nature of the timeline of this thing, um, organizations are already starting to shift to a more sustainable work environment. 
broadly. Organizations have to kind of evaluate the opportunity cost of not utilizing remote work. Um, we know that there's some operations that require traveling to a shared workspace. So if you're working in manufacturing or in a factory, there isn't always going to be a practical remote option available. And we don't see the future state of remote work being in response to a pandemic. We think there's some benefits that uh, there are to it. So all these other industries that house large groups of people that spend the majority of their workday on the phone and the computer, the transition's been fairly seamless and just kind of making it work for the time being. But I think if organizations get creative, they can capitalize on things like unused office space by potentially reducing the amount of space needed for those employees and leasing out any of the unused office space. So you have some additional cash for uh, employee remote accommodations. And I think if, if we take advantage of, of this opportunity where we have extra time in our day from not having to commute, um, we'll be able to see a little more uh, opportunity and business outcome. Um, not to mention the social impact of virtual work. Uh, the potential environmental benefits we see from a reduction in car and plane usage um, could be tremendous. I think from an employer standpoint, um, I know we had highlighted a lot of the employee benefits, but from an employer standpoint, um, there are a lot of benefits to being able to um, work or have your employees work from anywhere. First and foremost are the costs. You're able to save more money on healthcare. You're able to save more money on commuting expenses. Um, you're able to pull from a larger talent pool. It's not just limited to who's working locally or who's in your uh, you know, immediate vicinity. If you're in Washington state, you can work with somebody in Florida. Um, if you want to work with somebody outside of, of the country, that's absolutely possible too. Um, I know that you could start getting into the territory of um, talking about uh, wage equality and where exactly um, you know you should you should draw the line as far as how to determine salary and, and all of that kind of that kind of stuff. But for a large scale organization that has the resources, to afford uh, talent from different pools, that could be something that organizations look look upon as a strategic advantage, especially from the CEO level. In terms of being able to go back to how things were, we have had the internet in existence since I believe what 1998, 1999, and the fact that we have um, multiple generations in the workplace from. Uh, baby boomers to Gen X, we got millennials, and then very soon approaching, we're going to have Gen Z. The migration to virtual and having that be something that's sustainable within organizations is something that is undeniable. We are constantly shifting to a, a more virtual platform, not just in our workplaces, but within our schools. We have children that are working on tablets more so than than learning cursive we we have um you know business that is getting done uh, via zoom call um, and it's been happening that way well before the pandemic so we've had remote work trending as well as hybrid work trending um for a while it's just that the the pandemic has exacerbated it and increased the need both brit and myself have 
already started on this upskilling and technology um, just because there's so many different remote tools now that are being uh, implemented. For example, uh, CRMs are being used uh, really widely, uh, these Zoom calls, Teams calls, things like that. But even furthermore, um, we have platforms like Dropbox Paper, uh, where you can collaborate with your teammates uh, in a shared space. And both myself and Britt have been able to do um, or to conduct entire meetings without seeing each other and without verbally having to talk to each other. And I think part of this technological upskilling is to address engagement uh, within culture. I think if you diversify some of the communication channels and then really enforce the training aspect of how to use those applications um, to kind of reach the potential you're looking for, you're going to start seeing uh, a, an increase in engagement because not only are you tapping into the learning and development aspect, you're connecting your employees. Um, so I think as far as hard skills go, it's that technology. And then soft skills is going to be really addressing those continuous and honest feedback loops. Um, we, we definitely have had a uh, feedback deficit, in my opinion, uh, in, culture, in organizational culture in the past. I think moving forward, there needs to be an emphasis on how continuous is our feedback? Are we falling into yes cultures? Um, as we go through this repurposing and redesigning, how do we want to share and communicate information with each other? I think organizations have a lot of work during this transition to, uh, to repurpose and redesign in a way that enables others to have those hard and soft skills um, to be successful. Um, so I think that's where we'll see a lot of the upskilling is in uh, feedback patterns uh, and also the new uh, collaborative remote technologies. So in terms of in terms of culture, um, I think generally, you know, we we try to take this focus on people in process. So breaking it into two categories where you're able to um, kind of be able to wrap your head around it, um, you know, we definitely want to look at um, how intentional engagement activities um, promote those continuous and honest uh, feedback loops. So. Uh, Prior to this, like in office experiences, they did have that whole advantage of walking to the bathroom, saying hi to somebody, the water cooler chats, um, to engage and socialize with those that are working in the office. Um, but because of that, so the demand has been lower for in-office engagement activities. There's no intention really behind it because you're taking for granted just being in the same hallway or same building as someone. So um, on the other hand, you know, virtual workers are able to go months without talking to someone they used to just walk by and talk to every day. So I would say that exposure to others promotes our sense of connectedness. So now that we're behind the scenes, we have to be more intentional than ever to connect, engage, and socialize with those that we wouldn't normally have contact with in a virtual setting and making sure that we're 
able to uh, distinguish the different types of people we have to be engaging, not just extroverts for those happy hour, uh, those virtual happy hours, but making sure we're including introverts that might be more comfortable in one-on-one situations. Um, I know that organizations have also fallen victim to that, that yes culture due to those pressures to be just positive as a way to protect job security. Um, but this is an issue um, that has derived from heavy competition and that and those distorted survival instincts. So do we really want to tell our supervisor that the time and effort they've been putting into a change implementation isn't suitable for their department and needs to be redesigned? No, we definitely want to make sure we're embracing that. We want to say that this looks amazing. We have a great team and it's due to that awesome leadership and culture that we agree with. So um, I do feel that culture should be directed by the continuous honest feedback and reinforced with that, those appropriate rewards and recognition. And now, um, you know, that's something that's been taken for granted that we have to be more intentional about. So there's no putting the genie back into the bottle. Many of the employees who have been working from home for the last six months or more are going to want to keep doing that, or at least something like it, permanently. And there are benefits to employers for doing this and to the environment as well. To make all this work, we're going to need new skills, hard skills and soft skills. But why are IO psychologists the superheroes of this story? What makes us better suited to this than people from other fields? One cool thing about IO psychology is they they cater to people and they they really work to preserve the well-being of those that have chronically negative work experience by taking that employee-centered approach. And we found so often that in hustle cultures, which really should have a lot of value in organizations, they're turning more into burnout cultures. And we feel that that's due to a lack of strategy and knowledge and employee behavior. Um, and that's where the behavioral experts come in. So. Uh, you know, we feel that we're in this industrial transition to a more permanent form of remote work, and that's going to be significant. So IO psychology has this opportunity to get in at the ground floor uh, and to look at the repurposing and redesigning of those organizations moving forward. And I feel that IO psychology in practice hasn't had enough of a role Uh, in the past for business processes. It hasn't really broken out of that educational space, uh, spending so much time in a state of research. And I think now we have an obligation as a corporate society to use this knowledge to kind of hire more inclusively, to engage and develop our employees and maintenance our cultures with a more proactive approach. Uh, to avoid some of those irreparable culture toxicity uh, that can undermine our group efforts. So I think the floor is really open for IO psychologists to help with that behavioral repurpose and redesign. Uh, And I think that those behaviors can even expand outside of organizations to create sort of a society that's a little more socially, collaboratively minded. I want to thank my guests for sharing their thoughts. If you'd like to get in touch with them, you can check out the show notes for a link to their firm, Revise Consulting, and links to their individual social media accounts as well. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll talk next time.